Well, uh, thanks for your welcome. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks, Mike, for leading. We do go back a while, myself and Mike, being at Brighouse together, although I think you go back further with one of my brothers. Yes, to my, to my ugly middle brother, uh, Colin, up in Suffolk when he used to go on a beach mission. That's correct, isn't it? So uh, thanks for leading, Mike. Really helpful choice of hymns and songs. It will be helpful uh, to you if you've got the um, passage we read uh, from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, open in front of you. Um, one of the interesting things about um, this passage, every time I read it, is, is the fact that I have two brothers, not just one. Um, so immediately I always kind of start thinking, this is kind of something here that's about my family, my, my growing up. Um, two brothers, there's three of us in the house, you know, my poor parents, and there's fallouts, and there's, there's tension, and there's fun, and there's togetherness. And it's the reality of family life, ups and downs. Uh, three lads in the house, constantly playing sport, music, um, falling out. And the interesting thing about that is having, uh, there being three of us, um, we're kind of close, but kind of not close. In the, as my wife always says, when the three of us are together, it's a nightmare. But when there's two of us together, it's okay. Uh, the fact that one of them lives in Sussex, one of them lives in Suffolk, and one of them lives in Yorkshire might give you a bit of a clue that we kind of get on slightly better the further we are apart. The reality of family life. And of course, in all families there are tensions, and there's joys and there's sorrows, and there's togetherness and all that kind of stuff going on. However, when dealing with inheritance becomes a reality, sadly that is often when the real trouble happens. Perhaps it's happened in your family. Things are fine. That an inheritance comes along, perhaps parents or whoever. What to do with it? That's sadly when the real trouble starts. And in this story that Jesus tells, he points out in this story that that is when the real trouble surfaces. Now, of course, where is Jesus? He's in the middle of a storytelling phase. And his stories about, are, at this point are about things that are lost and are found. And this is the last one. And I don't want to kind of go over what Chris has done so far, but the general point on all of them is this, is that as human beings we're lost and we need to come back to God and be found by him. That's the general point, but of course they've all got different applications in them. And in this story, we have a son who was lost, verse 24. The father says, this is my son, for my, this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And this story has it all. Money, greed, stupidity, sex and probably drugs and rock and roll, mercy, resentment, pride, forgiveness. I'm amazed that this hasn't been made into a Hollywood blockbuster, although of course you might recognise some of the things. But I don't think it has been. And it's a classic. And it'd be brilliant, I suppose, for nowadays, because at the end there's the question mark. What happens in the end? We don't know. Now one of the things to remember about about the story is this, is who Jesus is talking to. Remember verse 1 of chapter 15. We read this, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners, and the religious leaders despise him. So the story he tells is not only for sinners who are lost, but also for religious Proud people who think they are fine. And it's very important to remember. So it's not just one lost son, 
as Chris put in the title, is a parable of two lost sons and also a father full of grace. The first thing I want us to do is just think about the story behind the story. The story behind the story. I have a father, uh, he's still alive, although possibly for not much longer, and we've all had fathers. Now, just think about your father, if you can remember them. What was your father like? Was he ever like this father here? Because if you want to think about it just in terms of parenting terms, we would question his behaviour, wouldn't we? Why give the money now? Why do that? I mean, I don't, I wonder whether, I know it's a story obviously, but I wonder whether this son would have done this whenever. This is the type of guy he was. Why accept the younger son back without any discipline? Because obviously the younger son is expecting it. And why put up with the whinging older son? See, it's not a story on how to parent children, so what actually is it? Well, in the story, of course, the father owns all his property, but in keeping with Jewish custom, it will be inherited by his son, so he divides it between them. And that's what he does. And that's the, that's the society they're in. But one of the questions is, before we get into, like, why should he have done that? We're not really going to get into that. And why he parents like this, we're not going to get into that. Is this, is, of course, in Jesus' parables, in his stories, the question is, who are the characters? Who do they remind us of? What's the story behind the story? Now, of course, obviously, the father is God himself. And the opening scene of the father and his property, I think what Jesus is getting at, it's quite simply this. I own, God owns the world, says Jesus. It's his. But he's chosen to give his, give us, people, human beings, food, family, property, money, and it's to be used wisely. And if Chris is doing chapter 16 next week, there's a bit more on that, I think, next week. And that's what he does. And the two sons are you and me. And we are represented in this story by these two feuding, flawed men. And we have in verse 12, the younger, man, younger son demanding the father give him his share now. And that's obviously, you know, part of us, isn't it? We see what we have as ours. We can either spend, 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 use it now and indulge like the first son, or like the second son, we hold on to what God gives us. We grow it to get richer, to gain. So the two sons go their separate ways. They both commit completely to it. Because notice that the father divides his property between them. He didn't just give the younger son his share. He fairly tells the older son, this is, you get your share now. And I think that's a point that's often overlooked. The younger spends his share on how, on it and how he likes, what he wants to do. And the older takes pride in his work. Probably to grow the family business. So this isn't a parable about family life, although that's what draws us into it, which is, a, which is one of Jesus' clever devices. But it's a story on how we relate to God. It's how we relate to our Heavenly Father and what he's graciously given to us. Now, first of all, let's think about the younger son. The younger son. And in the words of Whitney Houston, I think, didn't he almost have it all? Didn't he almost have it all. It was all going so well. He gets his share of the property. Clearly, his father was wealthy and this guy has his money and he's got the friends, he's got the girls, he's going to the parties. He's made investments in the booming tech industries. Brilliantly. 
He's making the Wolf of Wall Street look like an amateur. It's going so fantastically well, but suddenly the investments turn bad. The tech companies have folded. Now the friends are not returning his text messages. The girls are giving him the cold shoulder. The party invites have dried up. The clubs are saying, your name's not on the list. You're not coming in. He's bankrupt. But not only is he bankrupt, we find in verse 14, there's a severe famine. An economic crash. There's no welfare handouts, no charity handouts. And the only work he can get is to feed pigs as a servant. And he's starving. He's in a complete mess. And it's obvious to everyone who's reading it. He's gone, effectively, to being just like one of the slaves on his father's farm. It's all gone. And it's quite an obvious point when you think about it. Is, is this, is that no matter how we've lived, we are in a mess in the eyes of the God who made us and who's given us everything. We haven't honoured him. We've wasted not only our money, but our desires. We've wasted our motivations. We've wasted them on this world. We've wasted them on ourselves. We've wasted them on what we want. Here's an interesting question to ask yourself, and I'll ask myself this question. How important is my television in my house? Or the multiple televisions? How important is my laptop? Or my tablet? Or my smartphone? Or my favourite chair? Or my holiday? Or my house? Or my family? All gifts from God. Good gifts from God. And how have we treated him? We read this parable and we say that the son now has nothing. But actually, in a sense, he had nothing before. You know, he had total freedom, but that freedom was worth nothing to him. He did what he liked, but in the end it was worth nothing. He spent the cash, but in the end it was worth nothing. Because in the end it gave him nothing. No security. No freedom. No future. All it did was make him a slave to pleasure and a slave to the pig owner. So what happens to him? He's there, he's a slave. Verse 18 and 19, of course, the turnaround. He resolves to repent to his father's face. I think that's very important here. Some people will read this and oh, I was wishful thinking. No, he says, I'm going to go to my father and I will say to him, he, he says, I'm going to front up. I've sinned against you. I will accept any position you offer. I will be a slave. I'll accept being outside the family, no longer a son. Now, none of us like shame, do we? None of us like to be ashamed. Well, to, in Eastern culture, to mess up the father's inheritance, it's going to be shame on the family, isn't it? It's going to be the talk of the village. Here comes Gerald, or whatever he's called. And half of his father's money is down the tube, and now he shows up again. He'll be disowned, and he realises that. And that's what the younger son expects. I'm going to be a slave, not a son. Now, if, you've, if you're a parent, or you've been a parent, 
When your kids do something wrong, what do you do? You work out a discipline, don't you? You work out how you've got to try and help them to change their behaviour. Or you've got to tell them to change their behaviour. But look at what this father does. The son goes back. Look at what he does. He's not working out a punishment. He's not working out a suitable lesson. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His father was on the lookout. He was waiting for him. He runs to meet him. I'll admit, sometimes, being a parent, I wait for the kids to come to me. I tell them, no, you come here. I'm not, you know, part of the discipline is, maybe I should learn from this, I'm not sure, but part of the discipline is, no, I'm here, no, you come to me. Because you want them to acknowledge what's going on. But here, the father goes straight to the son, the moment he sees him. And what does the father do for us? The moment, as soon as we turn to him and notice that the son can hardly get the words out. You see, when we think about repentance, it's not easy repentance where we just, God, sin doesn't matter. But the reality is, is that we are unable to repent of everything. I don't mean we shouldn't say, I repent of all my sin. I mean, we are not able to list all the things we have done wrong to God. We can't, because we can't remember them. I've got 44 years worth that stacked up. I can't remember what I did when I was four, let alone 44 last week. We can't remember them, but here's the point. The moment we resolve to repent and begin to turn to him, the Father runs to meet us. He welcomes us. And look at what the Father does for this son. He throws this amazing party. And I don't want this to sound um, trite. But when we repent and come to him, the Lord God throws a party in heaven. The angels are rejoicing. And as this son comes in, he puts the best robe on him, he puts the ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Get the point, he didn't have a robe on, he didn't have shoes on his feet, he was barefoot. The fattened calf is killed, they celebrate, he gives him everything. And you know what, when we turn and repent to the Father, he gives us everything we need to be right with him. Because no amount of disciplines or lessons can change our hearts. I can seek to change my children's behaviour, but I can't change their hearts. Because when we come to repent, he does everything. The younger son is given far more than he can imagine. And what have we been given? Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In verse 22, the son is given the best robe to wear. And we are given the robe of righteousness, which is given to us through Jesus. And if you're listening to this story, when Jesus first tells it. If you're a tax collector... If you're a sinner, the story is resonating with you. They know that God gave them everything and they threw it away. They know. It's often said with with people who are sinners who are on the outside of society, they already know they're sinners. You don't have to go very far for them to admit, I drink, I take drugs, etc, etc. But here's the point. God wants them to return. They've not gone too far. God wants them to return to him. Now, are you like the younger son? Perhaps you've lived your life how you wanted. Perhaps you've pleased yourself. Perhaps you're in a mess. Well, you're not in too much of a mess to be received by God. 
You know, Jesus is telling these stories to people who are in a complete financial mess, a complete moral mess, people who are lost, because he wants them to be found. And the good news is, you can be found. In the words of Rico Tice, we are more sinful than we can ever imagine. We are more loved than we can ever dream. That's the younger son. Let's think about the older son. Because one of the great things in this story is there's, there's this pivot, verse 24 to verse 25. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. And this, this older son has still got the blues. He has still got the blues. He is out working. You can imagine the sun's beating down on him. He's working away, doing whatever he's doing. He's out in the fields. And many of us, let's be honest, are going to sympathise with, with him, aren't we? We are going to sympathise with him. He has been loyal. And he's thinking what many of us are thinking. This lad, my, my brother... Although, of course, notice he never calls him his brother. It serves him right for being so greedy and unthankful to my father. He got what was coming to him. And we know that from his response when he returns, when his kid brother returns in verses 28 to 30. He's angry. He won't go into the party. And he says to his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice, not my brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And we would go, you know what, even though I think he's going a bit far there, we've got a lot of sympathy with that. We can see where he's coming from. But do you know what? He's wrong. See, remember verse 12. The father divides his property between them. Yes, the younger son went off and did what he wanted. But all this is the older son's. It's his. It's not the father's. The father's given it to him. It's his. So not only did the younger son get his share, the older son did too. He just chose to stay on and work. He just chose to stay on and maximise his new wealth. He just chose to stay on, and dare I say it, in order to gain favour with his father. So his rant to his father is actually full of half-truths and resentment. Children's birthdays are a joyful time. But they are also a source of sibling tension. Why didn't I get that present? It's not fair. That child, my sister had 15 people to their party, I only had seven. At that point you don't want to say, well it was your choice to have seven, but you know. It's not fair. And that's what the older son says, it's not fair, but actually it is. Both sons got what they wanted. The problem is, the older son thinks that he's better than the younger son. I'm not a sinner like him. And he is miffed that his dad doesn't agree. Remember who Jesus is talking to. The Pharisees and the scribes are thinking the same. You're a rabbi, Jesus. You're a teacher, just like us. You should be receiving us. You should be eating with us. Not that riffraff. Not those godless, drug-taking, tax-evading, dysfunctional underclass. You're better than that, and so are we. 
And so you see, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking. And perhaps you're thinking that. Perhaps you're like the oldest son. Perhaps you look at people in the world and you think, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Like the oldest son, you see yourself as loyal to God. You want to uphold his standards. You want him to be pleased with your life. Seems in this last few months, Britain's been a bit of turmoil. And that's an understatement. Leaving aside general elections, terrorist attacks, and we've had the uh, appalling fire in the Grimfell Tower Block in North Kensington. And the thing about that, one of the things about that horrible incident is this. Grenfell Tower looked fantastic on the outside, didn't it? I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it before the fire. It looked tremendous, beautiful, and even if a tower block can look beautiful. Well insulated, refurbished, millions of pounds spent on it. But of course the surface masked deadly failings, faulty specifications. Underneath it was a mess. And the actual surface that covered it all was defective. See, the older brother's facade of duty and loyalty masked pride. It masked greed. It masked self-interest. It masked evil. And the facade that he put up itself, the facade that he had there, the mask, was defective because he was in as much of a mess as his little brother, if not more. And that is the problem, isn't it? The problem for us is that God sees behind this facade. He sees behind this mask. He's never going to see you as better than someone else. He's never going to see you as completely loyal. He's never going to see you as totally loyal. He's loyal. He's never going to be complete, be pleased with your life. Because whatever you offer to God as a reason for him to accept you, it will never be enough. Never. And when the older son rants at his father, his argument is that he deserves favour. He deserves favour far more than his younger brother because he's treated the father better. I've stayed with you, Dad, not like this guy. I deserve your love more than him. And perhaps you're saying that to God. I deserve your love. More than they do. But you don't. You don't. None of us deserve God's love. None of us is good enough to be acceptable to him. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that God will take you into his kingdom because of your good Christian life, because he will not. And don't think that it's only really bad people who are lost because religious people are lost too and at the end of the story the son who was lost is found and the other son who knows did he ever go to the feast finally I want us just to think about the truth about grace the truth about grace I don't know um, how much you are into football. It's fine if you're not. Um, I am. I'll admit it. And I've played football. And my footballing days are probably drawing to a close. Uh, with a persistent Achilles injuries. That's the sort of thing you hear, isn't it? You've retired with persistent injuries. Like persistent Achilles injuries. Anyway, football. 
When you play football with Christians, it's very interesting. Because football amongst Christians is all very nicey-nicey. It's all very kickabout. It's all very friendly. Until the first serious foul happens. We play football by grace until there's a foul. And then grace goes out of the window. And it's all about justice. He deserved that elbow. He had it coming. Legalism. Get him back. I do remember playing uh, in a on a Christian on a Christian holiday um, a long time ago, and in a five-a-side tournament, almost on a Christian holiday, and it was all going well until I'm not going to say who this is or anything like that until uh, a, a pastor of a church uh, shoulder charged one of my friends into the into the sports hall wall, and when I say into the wall, it was probably from about that laptop into the wall. His shoulder and he literally flew into the wall. And at that point, the red mist came down. Grace was gone. It was all legalism. Why am I telling these ridiculous stories about football and Christians? Well, the thing is this. The good news of Jesus is all about grace. It's all about grace. But how often as Christians we behave like the older son? We make it about morals. Just like the football game, starting games, they end up in morals. Right and wrong. We make it look like that. And then we feel like we should act like the younger son, perhaps. What's the point in being found? The cost isn't worth it. It's so hard to live as a Christian. Perhaps we get it wrong as Christians. Now what's interesting here is the father doesn't reject the younger son or the older son out of hand. Isn't that interesting? He wants both to be a part of his party. He's not choosing between bad people and religious people. He's not saying the religious person is better than the bad person, or the bad person is better than the religious person. They're all sinners. They're all lost. They all need his grace. Because God is a God of grace. What is grace? Well, quite simply, grace is receiving what you don't deserve. It's a gift that we can't buy. We can't earn it. And in this story, the younger son could not believe that his father would show grace. We know that from what he's going to say to him. I'll just be a slave. I'm not a son. He couldn't believe his father would show grace. The older son couldn't believe that his father did show grace to his little brother. And we look at God, our heavenly father, and we marvel that he would ever show grace to sinners. Grace to tax collectors. Grace (coughs) to wayward sons. Grace to us. But how do we know that he really is a God of grace to us? Because this is a nice story, but how do we know? Well, we see God's grace at the cross. We see God's grace in giving up his own son. His only son at the cross. We see God's grace in the fact that Jesus, his son, is completely loyal to his father. It's not just a facade. He is completely loyal. We see the grace in the fact that Jesus is better than everyone else. He is perfect. We see it in the fact that Jesus is totally moral. God is totally pleased with Jesus' life. Jesus is not like these two sons. This is Jesus, and yet Jesus dies the sinner's death. Jesus dies for the the death for the tax collectors and for the religious elites. 
He dies in our place. He takes all of God's anger at our mess. All of his anger at our selfishness, our pride. And he dies on the cross for it. Jesus did not deserve it. And he is given God's punishment that we deserve. But he did it so we didn't have to take that anger. That is grace, isn't it? Grace for us. Jesus receives what we deserve so that we don't have to receive it. And by repenting, which simply means turning around from our sin, by trusting in Jesus, we receive not God's anger, but his forgiveness. Just as the Father gave to the younger son. We receive his welcome. Just as the Father gave to the younger son. We receive his embrace. Just as the Father gave to the younger son. He becomes our Father forever. Just as the Father did for the younger son. We receive his grace. In their song, Grace, you two sing this. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. And in Jesus' story, the younger son feasts with his father. He feasts with the servants. See, the truth for those who receive God's saving grace is an eternal feast in the new creation. That's where we're headed. Because of his grace. It's a wedding celebration that never ends. Where the groom is Jesus. And his bride is forgiven sinners. And we celebrate together forever. And this is the wonder of grace. That the father removes the hurt. The father removes the friction. The father removes the stings. Because the father makes ugly things. Ugly things. Sinful you Sinful me, beautiful and perfect, forever, by his grace. But the question for us is this, whoever we are, whoever we are, do we realise that we need his grace? Do we realise that we need his grace? Let's pray. Father in heaven, perhaps we have looked at a story that Jesus told that is very familiar. We thought about things that are perhaps are what we normally think about. Yet, Father, what we need is to be honest with you this morning that whoever we are, we still need your grace. We still need to realise that we are a mess, that we are sinners, and we need your grace. We need your forgiveness, we need your mercy, we need your life. Father, I pray that we would not erect barriers, masks, to make it look make it look to others, but more importantly to you, that, that we're better than we are. That we don't need you, that somehow we have moved on, that we are better than other people. Lord, we are not. Open our eyes that we would see that. And open our eyes that we would be like the younger son, that we would resolve to turn around and confess we have sinned. We're not worthy to be called your sons and daughters, yet we thank you by your grace you receive us. And you not only treat us as sons and daughters, 
you treat us as co-heirs with your son Jesus. Lord, may we ever again wonder and glory at your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our last song together. Um, Oh, the mercy of God, the glory of grace. Let's stand and sing this great song together.